What's up? That's like open door to be, and you don't have to give them like a sermonette or a Fusco sermon, which they'll pass out during. You know what I mean? Like, man, I'm following Jesus and I'm learning this and this is happening. It should be effortless, no pressure, just your life, your story. And Jesus is leading your story if he If you were going to write an autobiography, would you include everything about your life so far? We all have things in our past that we're ashamed of. But for the believer, those shameful parts are vital to our stories because they illustrate exactly what we were saved from. Newness of life takes on a deeper meaning when you realize just how lost you were. Today, Pastor Daniel teaches about the power of a life transformed by Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message entitled, Don't Forget. Jesus is And had cast pur, that is the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot, which Haman had devised against the Jews, should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. So they called these days Purim after the name Pur. Therefore, because of all the words of this letter, what they had seen concerning this matter and what had happened to them, the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them that without fail they should celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation every family, every province, and every city, that these days of Purim should not fail to be observed among the Jews, and that the memory of them should not perish among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim at their appointed time as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them and as they had decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim and it was written in the book. Now, you notice here, we have a rehearsal once again of both what happened and what the outcome is. So we have what happened, the entire story of Haman and Queen Esther and how Mordecai was involved and, and the decree that was made and how God protected the children of Israel. And then also you have the whole thing about the celebration of Purim. 
Notice the people did it spontaneously, but Mordecai and Esther now make it formalized. Where they said, look, we're always going to take the 14th and the 15th of the month of Adar, and we're going to celebrate, remembering that lots were cast to destroy us, but that we have been faithfully preserved. What does this teach us? Something not to forget. Don't forget to tell the story, my friends. Don't forget to tell the story. Don't forget. See, we're hearing the story all over again, and every single year on the 14th and 15th of the month of Adar, the children of Israel would go back around and tell the story of this is what happened with Queen Esther and that evil guy Haman when they were in the Medo-Persian Empire. They kept coming back over and over and over again and telling the story. Now, you know that repetition is the great teacher, right? That's how it happens. That when the first time you hear something, it kind of sticks. But if you hear it over and over and over again, you learn. I, I read a statistic somewhere. I don't know how they verified this. But in order to become an expert at anything, it takes 10,000 hours. So it's like some, so often people say, hey, I want to learn how to play the guitar. I'm like, well, do it. Well, it's really hard. Well, it is hard until you keep doing it over and over again and you develop some minute muscle uh, work and you get used to how it works and then it happens effortlessly, right? Not, very rarely does something happen immediately effortlessly. Some people are naturally gifted. Maybe it's a smaller number, but it takes time. Why? Because with repetition, things get down deep into our bodies and in our souls and in our spirit. And that's also true spiritually. We need to learn how to tell the story, to remember God's faithfulness in our lives, to remember God's great deliverances, to be able to say, this is what God did. This is how it happened. And we need to keep coming back to those stories over and over and over again. Why? Because whatever the present situation is, God's faithfulness in the past actually informs that. We learn how to walk by faith in what's happening now based on the fact that God has been faithful to us in the past. When you've seen God do something amazing in your life through a hard situation, you could say, well, there was another hard situation that happened 20 years ago, 50 years ago, five weeks ago, that God did something amazing. And now I believe that God will do something amazing in the future because we have a testimony. The children of Israel, this was not the first or the last time that someone tried to exterminate the children of Israel. But they have this story that they tell every single year to remind them that no weapon fashioned against them will prosper. Don't forget to tell the story. So you see, we'll find out about Purim. We find out that Queen Esther and Mordecai, they formalized this thing. But the people did it spontaneously, and then they go back through it again because of Haman and Queen Esther and the whole thing. They go back through the entire thing again. Now, what's interesting about the, the Feast of Purim is that this is the one yearly commemorative feast that isn't found in the law. We saw in Leviticus 23 all the different yearly feasts. Now we have one that's actually not in the law, but they still do it to this day. Something like Hanukkah as well. Hanukkah actually took place in between the ending of the Old Testament, we have it as the book of Malachi, and the advent of, of John the Baptist and the Gospels that happened in the intertestamental period, but they still celebrate it every day. It speaks about God's great miracle of 
one day of oil lasting for seven days so they can purify new oil after the desecration of the temple by Antiochus Epiphanes, the Greek ruler. You can read about that in the intertestamental books. You guys get all that? You guys wrote that all down? Good. That was a nice little theological flourish for you. I have those every once in a while. But that's another one that's not in the law, but they still celebrate it every single day or every single year. Now, there's a couple of things I want to bring out for you about the story. I want you to notice first, and I think this is going to be really important for some of us. In verse 22, look what it says in the middle. It says, as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them and from mourning to a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and joy. Do you notice it's sorrow that turns into joy and it's sadness, mourning that becomes a holiday? Listen, I've said this so many times, but when you go through a trial, you become a prime candidate for God to do something miraculous in your life. No miracle ever happened without first there being an issue. Why? Because when everything's working out great, guess what? Everything's working out great. Like, no, you don't need a miracle because everything's working out. But when things are hard, when there's issues, that's when miracles happen. That's when God shows himself strong. And my friends, listen. You can't positive think your way from something tragic and horrible into joy and holiday. Only the true and living God can do that. Because God wants to do a work in your life. And for most of us, the tragedies of our lives become those points of brokenness where we stay embittered the rest of our lives. But when you walk with the Lord and you say, God, only you can redeem this tragedy and bring something beautiful. Only you, through your infinite wisdom and radical grace, only you can take this thing that hurts so much and blossom things that are so beautiful. I look at it in my own life. I've, I've told many of you, Nick, I lost my mother at 21. I remember when my mother was 47 and she was diagnosed with cancer and, and that whole thing. And it was a horrible situation. My mom was the closest person, the person that it was the most raw for me, right? And I remember when my mother passed away, it was just like, literally, it was like lights out for me. It was like, man, if this is life, geez, you know? And I look back on it now, and since giving my life to Jesus, don't get me wrong, I give a lot of the lessons back, because I'd like to spend more time with my mom, you know? But God can bring something so beautiful out of something so horrible, where I look back on the fruit that's been born in my own life, the life of my sisters, my father, my family, people around us who walk through this tragedy. See, God can redeem the most horrific parts of our lives and bring something the most gorgeous out of it. But only God can do that. Because God is the Alpha and the Omega. God understands not only the picture as it exists for us, but also how it relates to the totality of our lives and eternity. And that is a perspective that we don't bring in on our own. Let God turn your sorrow into joy. Let the Lord turn those tragedies, that mourning into feasting. Now, I want you to notice also, how did they celebrate Purim? It says that they 
made them days of feasting and joy. This is in verse 22. Sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. So it's feasting and joy, right? And gift giving and being charitable to those who didn't have. But then when you get to verse 31, look at what it says at the very end. It says, and as they had decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting. Now, what's really fascinating about this is that although Purim was a two-day feast, celebration and feasting, the way they celebrated was before that, they had a day of fasting and lament, which they called Esther's fast. Why? Because they didn't want to forget that not only did God deliver them by a great deliverance, but before that happened, Esther and the, and the Jewish people all fasted for three days, seeking the Lord before Esther took the step of faith to go to her husband, the king, and ask for help. Now listen, in your story, don't pasteurize your story only to the celebration time, but include the time of trouble in the midst of your story. See, we live in a culture, and especially in Christianity today, that people always want to just whitewash it, make it all joyful and wonderful, and we make it disingenuous. It's inauthentic. Really, we see the hand of God in the midst of the tragedy. And for the Jewish people, they fasted. They had Esther's fast, and then they celebrated for two days because they didn't want to forget that the reason they have this celebration was because something horrible happened and was happening, and God showed himself strong. And don't divorce your story from the times of trouble. It becomes part of your story. And brothers and sisters, listen. Nobody ever said that being a Christian means that everything's going to work out perfectly. Everything's going to happen all the right ways. Being a Christian means that everything is going to be messy, but Jesus is going to be in the center of that. He's going to be with us in the midst of it. The Jewish people tell this story. They were persecuted. They were going to be hurt, and they had to fast, and Esther went before the king, and then everything worked out, so they fast. It's the symbol of mourning, and then they get to the time of celebration. Now, to apply this, don't forget to tell your story. Brothers and sisters, each one of you have a testimony in your life. God has done things in your life. And I believe that God desires, God desires for you to tell people the stories, the God stories of your life. Why? Because your life is contained in his life. In his life, we find our life. And when someone says, what's up? That's the perfect time just to share about what the Lord is doing in your life. See, I'm not talking about witnessing, because that's like a church word that makes everyone feel nervous. I got to witness. No, no. If you're walking with Jesus, then Jesus' life is being imparted to you. And so when someone says, hey, how you doing? You could say, man, well, guess what? I'm learning this. I've been walking with Jesus, and Jesus is teaching me this thing. And it's really kind of scary and kind of profound, but, you know, I'm just on this journey. See, we should be speaking of Jesus always because if we're walking with Jesus, he's integrally a part of our lives all the time. And I think for so many of us, we don't want to share what Jesus is doing in our life because we divorce what he's doing from our lives, our story. Just allow Jesus to be the centerpiece of the stories that you tell, not just the life that you live. Because... Nobody else is worried about sharing their story, are they? You meet someone, how's it going? They'll tell you everything, right? 
Even if it's like straight nasty, they'll just tell you, right? Like, this is who we are, you know, this is what I am. And then all of a sudden you come to know Jesus and you're like, right, I can't tell anybody about this because... Now, don't get me wrong, there's warfare so that you don't share, but I want us to be the kind of people where sharing about Jesus isn't this big hyped-up thing. It's just as easy as saying, yeah, it's sunny outside, right? Someone's like, what's up? Well, it's sunny outside. Well, everybody knows that, right? We should be able to talk about our lives in Jesus as normally as we talk about, well, I had oatmeal for breakfast, or I work at the, the Gap, or whatever your thing is, you know, or... American Pharaoh won the triple crown or whatever. We should be able to speak of our lives in Jesus with the same, it's just, it's, this is our life, right? Don't forget to tell your story. And when you're telling your story, don't leave Jesus out because our life is hidden in Christ. So people say, what's up? That's like open door to be, and you don't have to give them like a sermonette or a Fusco sermon, which they'll pass out during. You know what I mean? Like, man, I'm following Jesus and I'm learning this and this is happening. It should be effortless, no pressure, just your life, your story. And Jesus is leading your story if he is your Lord. Don't forget to tell your story. I love this because this reminds me of Luke chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Remember that man they called Legion who was demon-possessed, who Jesus healed? Listen to what it says. It says, now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. This man who had been healed of demon possession. Remember Jesus had sent the demons into the the swine and they ran down the hill and everyone freaked out. The guy's like, Jesus, I just want to be with you. I mean, I would say that too if I was in his case, right? And he says, no, 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 listen, I know you want to be with me. I actually want you to go share your story with everybody. I want you to go on out and tell everybody, God did this for me. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly who we're supposed to be. See, I think sometimes we believe in Jesus, and then what we do is we, like, okay, I believe in Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. I don't want to have to deal with anybody else. I don't want anyone's garbage, you know? And it's like, no, no. Jesus is like, no, no, listen, I'm with you. I want you to go out, and I want you to tell everyone my story. Tell the story of what I'm doing in your life. So, brothers and sisters, don't be ashamed to tell your story, the good, the bad, the story that God's not finished with me yet, that God's doing a work right here, right now. Now, look at what happens in chapter 10. There's only three verses here as we close out this study. It says, And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on the islands of the seas, Now all the acts of his power and his might and the account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus and was great amongst the Jews and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. So the book of Esther ends with the fact that King Ahasuerus is there. He's imposing tribute on his land, so he's, he's receiving taxes. And the acts of his power and his might and the greatness of this man, Mordecai, who is now the second of the king, it's written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia. And look what it says in verse 3. 
It says, for Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. You notice the role reversal? This was Haman, that evil guy. It was all about him. And now all of a sudden Mordecai is there and Mordecai is a blessing all around. What does this teach us, brothers and sisters? Don't forget to seek the good. Don't forget to seek the good. See, Mordecai is where he is, and he is seeking the good of King Ahasuerus, his own people, the people of the Medo-Persian Empire. We have a number of these in the Bible, don't we? We have a number of examples of people who loved the Lord, who rose up into high executive leadership within pagan empires and sought the good. You have someone like Joseph, remember? He rose on up. He became second to the Pharaoh in the Egyptian empire and literally blessed the whole world by preparing for a famine that was yet to come, right? You have someone like the prophet Daniel was right there beside King Nebuchadnezzar. He was in Babylon, but yet he sought the good of the Babylonian Empire. Now we have Mordecai. Mordecai is a devout man of faith serving a pagan king, and he's a blessing. This reminds me of what Jeremiah said. The Lord told Jeremiah this in Jeremiah 29, verse 7. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. As we close out this series, what's the name of this series in Esther for such a time? Listen, Mordecai seeking the good. Joseph seeking the good. Prophet Daniel seeking the good. Brothers and sisters, you and I. You and I were recreated by God in the name of Jesus to seek the good of a world that is broken for such a time. See, Mordecai wasn't like, well, look, you know, my boss, the king, he's a pagan, so who cares? No, he engaged. He said, look, I am meant to be salt and light in this world. And I am going to serve this pagan king who probably wasn't that good of a guy. But I'm going to seek the good because in its peace, I will have peace. And brothers and sisters, listen. You and I, recreated by Jesus for this season, for such a time as this right now. When was the last time you looked at your job that way? When was the last time you looked at your neighborhood that way? When was the last time you looked at your family that way? You said, look, I'm simply going to seek the good of my family. Seek the good of my job. Sure, they're lousy bosses. They're scoundrels. I mean, they're just downright mad. But I, Lord, am going to bless them. And I'm going to pray for them. Why? Because if they are at peace, then I am at peace. Because I can live a quiet and humble life in the presence of God. This is what for such a time is all about right here. That you and I are called by God, invited by God to seek the common good. Jesus is real. We shouldn't be ashamed to tell our stories when God is at the center of them. 
the Jewish people began a yearly remembrance of God's intervention in their lives to save them. Our salvation can be memorialized each time we share His goodness. God is doing some amazing things with Jesus is Real Radio. It's our vision to see Jesus is Real Radio on more radio stations worldwide and to help change lives across the globe. You can help see this vision come to life by sending a gift of any amount to 7708 Northeast 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Again, to send a gift of any amount to Jesus is Real Radio, simply send your gift to 7708 Northeast 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel begins a new study in God's Word. In this series, God used people to affect lasting, positive change. He desires to use you for such a time. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.